Open your Bibles, would you please? Open your Bibles. Now, you've got to listen really carefully here to get to the right spot. Open your Bibles to 2nd and 3rd John. Now, listen, it's not John chapter 2, or it's not John chapter 3. So, uh, John wrote five uh, books. The Gospel of John, 1st John, all, the Gospel of John, number one, 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John, and Revelation. So we're heavily into the writings of John. And what we're going to do today is we're going to read and put side by side these two little uh, letters. And these are letters in the strictest sense of the word. You know, lots of the letters that you read that are called letters in the uh, Old Testament, the epistles, the letters, are letters that are written to churches, to be read by big groups of people. And these two letters are letters probably that were written to specific people. There's one other book like that. It's Philemon. But this is where you get down into the nitty-gritty. You, you, you know how sometimes if you're speaking to an audience, you speak one way. And then if you're speaking to your family, come on, folks, you speak another way. Oh, maybe that only happens in our house, but okay. Okay, I see. Well, these two letters are like that. Here John is pouring out his heart to, uh, in a personal way. And what's funny is if you've been tracking with us, you're going to see themes that are almost identical. But I promise if you stick with it, this is going to hit you in a way maybe that it's never hit you before. What, what am I talking about? Well, in 1 John, John is combating Gnosticism. If you don't get this, you're not going to get 2nd and 3rd John, Gnosticism, again, for the umpteenth time. If you've been following along here in the sanctuary or uh, on Facebook, I've said it every week, but you'll never understand these letters if you don't know what he was combating. I was blessed this morning to sit in on inductive Bible study class. Man, I'm telling you, I, I'm going to go back. I, I loved it. And uh, one of the things that uh, they, uh, uh, Beck was teaching them was how to read the Bible. Uh, what's the most, most, one of the most important things, uh, the, uh, way in which you can read the Bible? Look for the same word three times. Context, context, context. And here in the, these letters, John's letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, it's interesting they're combating Gnosticism, the idea that there are these super spiritual people and some lesser spiritual people who haven't attained this spiritual, these spiritual heights that, you know, we do, but you don't. And it was dividing the church. And it was some weird stuff that was gone, going on. One, that God, or Jesus, excuse me, Jesus who came to earth really didn't have a body. But that he was a ghost, kind of like spirit, who kind of just was here, and then his body was just kind of an apparition. Really weird, right? And then, then the, the opposite of that is some people believe Jesus was just a human 
who got the Spirit of God at the cross, but he, the Spirit left him before he actually died, and it was really weird. But it led to some strange things. One, it led to this. It led to people, because matter or material, I'm pointing to my body here, including the body, was evil. Only thing that counted was the spiritual, so it led people to go in two different paths. Licentiousness, do anything you want with your Bible, or Bible, body, do anything you want with your body because uh, what matters is the spiritual, not the body. But to other people, well, if the body is so evil, I'm going to beat it into submission, and that caused two camps. And you can imagine what it was doing within the church, folks. Listen, it was splitting people in the church. By the way, it happens today. Oh, oh, you you don't speak in tongues, huh? Hmm. Are you even a Christian? We, We have people that teach that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Are you kidding me? Where in the Bible does it say that? It doesn't say that. And so you get this place where we look down upon you, and you, you aren't us, and, and maybe, oh, well, he's the pastor, so he deserves the prime parking spot up front kind of stuff. And it, it causes this split. Uh, there's this special anointing on, on this one and that one within the church. Well, what are you talking about? First John says we all have that anointing. <laughs> we just have different gifts, the Bible says. Different gifts. We're all the same in Christ, but we have different gifts. We pull in the same direction, but differently. I can't fix anything. There's people here who can fix lots of things. So what do they do? They help fix. I just happen to be one, maybe, hopefully, who's been picked to be a teacher, and that's okay. There's other teachers here too. You get my point, right? This was causing Gnosticism, was causing a great split within the church and causing class distinctions, kind of. Well, in 1 John, see, there's no specific individual or church. You, you might want to jot this down. In 1 John, there's no real specific individual church that we know of uh, to which that letter was addressed, but it combats Gnosticism, right? In 2 John, check this out in verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth. That's who it's addressed. Now, we're going to talk about who is that. Is it the church or is it a person? But check this out when you flip the page. Go to 3 John. The elder sounds familiar. He's writing his letter in the same way. By the way, you do it. You write your letters in the same way. You write, dear such and such. Well, you don't write such and such, but you know what I mean. You write, dear whomever. And then you get done, and you have a, a, a salutation. You, you, you probably say, sincerely, Tim, or in Christ's love, or whatever you sign off on. You have a form. In fact, you went to school in your typing class. They ta- taught you how to put the form letter together. Well, this is what this is like. Look, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So catch this. In 2 John, we believe... They're fighting Gnosticism, and he's fighting it through a personal letter now that's addressed to either an individual lady or some people believe a certain church. By the way, this lady has children, so it's a family. We'll talk about that in a minute. But when you go back to 3 John, check this out. There's a guy named Gaius who it's being written to. Now go over to verse 9. And it speaks of a guy named Diotrephes. 
who's a dastardly dude. Go down into verse 12. Demetrius, a good testimony guy. So there's a letter here in 3 John that's written about a real situation in a real place to real people. And you get the heart of John, and I think it speaks volumes for what we're to do as Christians. We'll talk about it in a minute. The first thing we're going to do is I'm going to read both of them back to back. They came on one parchment, you know that. So their eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper was one parchment. This would fit both, both these letters on one piece of paper. So they didn't have to unwrap it. Here it is, two letters back to back after 1 John. 1 John is more general. 2 John, look at this, they've narrowed the scope. Now watch this, 3 John. It's lasered in on a particular point that Gnosticism was impacting. Got it? Everybody tracking? Okay. Written in his old age, John, the Apostle John, who was initially the son of thunder, had an anger management problem. I like to say that. It's a little tweak. He was a sinner like all of us. He had sin problem, and he was angry. But after the Lord, he saw the Lord die and rise again, and he was a witness to that, he became the apostle of love. What transforms people? It ain't self-help Susie Orman, people. It's the resurrection. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. His redemptive work at the cross is what transforms. That's John, and he's writing this in his old age. Here it comes. The elder, 2 John. We're going to read the 13 verses, then we'll go over and read the uh, 13, uh, 14 verses in 3 John, and I'll pray. To the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth, as we received commandment from the Father, verse 5, and now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Folks, this sounds like First John, doesn't it? Verse 6, this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. It's just like 1 John. For many deceivers, verse 7, have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Wow, sounds like 1 John. Am I being repetitive? Okay, because it is repetitive and that's a good thing. Look to yourselves that we do not lose things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. Wow, the apostle of love. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face that your joy, or that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Now, turn over to 3 John and hang with me now. Hang in there. The elder. <laughs> 
It's the form letter. It's the letter that he would use. It's the way you would, in which you write letters. The elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly, I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Sound familiar? <laughs> it, what's the difference? Being it, it, First John, written to no one in specific, just kind of the church at large. Second John, narrowing in in either a church or a home church or a specific family. And third John, boom, a situation in the church. We'll see it here in a minute. Same ideas, same theological ideas John is meeting them with. Okay. Beloved, you, verse 5, do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers you or who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We, therefore, ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers from the truth. You ever heard the term uh, two sides of the same coin? Think about that. That's what's happening here. I wrote to you, verse 9, or I wrote to the church, uh, verse 9, but diatrophies, however you say it, diatrophies maybe? I'm going to say it that way. You guys correct me later. You will, I know. But diatrophies, who loves to have the preeminence among them, by the way, who's to have the preeminence? Colossians 1, Jesus Christ. Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. This is John writing, by the way. Therefore, if I come, I will come to mind his deeds, which he, or call to mind his deeds, which he does. Prating against us, that's lying, with malicious words, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren, and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius, oh, you got to know the players. If you want to know the Bible, you want to be a good inductive Bible student, just know the players. we got three players right here. Gaius, Diotrephes, and Demetrius. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. Our testimony is true, right? So, I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. We shall speak face to face. Sound familiar? Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. So let's pray as we got a tall task. Well, Lord, thank you so much for these words, these two wonderful letters. They're not afterthoughts. They're not throw-ins. We know this, Lord. They're the very words from heaven that are ordained by you for us to read and to know and to take in, and we need your help to do it. So help us, Lord, understand as we move through here in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing we need to discuss is who was Second John writing to? Who was Second John writing to? Well, listen to this. In, you can mark these down or somehow write them down in your uh, notes or, or something. John addresses a group in 2 John in verse 6, verse 8, verse 10, 
verse 12. But he addresses an individual in 2 John 1, verses 4 through 5, and verses 13. Now, why did I just tell you that? Because there's a debate that rages. Who in the world is John writing to in this second letter? Is it a family that's headed by some elect lady who has children? Or is it a church that he's writing to? And if you read commentaries, you're going to go, 50% of the people you read are going to say, oh, it has to be a lady and her family. And 50% of the people are going to say, oh, it has to be a church. But I wonder, because of the nature of the church back then, which didn't meet in a building, but which met in people's homes, and the fact that this letter is is addressed to both a group and an individual, whether it's both. What am I talking about? Well, what if the church was in this lady's home, and she had a family that was ministering and loving and serving the brethren right in their home, which is where church happened. So you can be a Berean and think and and study, and there are going to be a lot of good reasons why this must be a church and not a family. And you could do the same, and you're going to find a lot of good reasons why this could be a family and not a church. But I say, couldn't it be both? One and the same. So here it is, the elder. John is respected as an elder. You understand at this time, like second-generation Christianity, first-generation Christians had all died off except for maybe John and a few others, and now we're into uh, uh, second-generation Christianity. You understand at the tail end of that apostolic age, the age of the apostles, that you had three kind of groups that really were respected and participated in the church, in the home churches. And that would be this, people who actually saw, touched, were with Jesus Christ. John's one of them. He's an elder, right? He's not an elder of this church that he's writing to, a leader of that church, so to speak, as a local leader, but he's a leader in the body of Christ because he has seen the risen Lord, right? You understand that? And then what the early church had was a lot of people, ministers, pastors, teachers who traveled. And they went from home church to home church. And what they relied upon, folks, was the hospitality of the home church. There's an actual book of the 12 apostles. You can actually read it, excerpts of it. And the 12 apostles, the, what was it called? The didac. This didac was really concerned with the itinerant preachers, the preachers who went on the, the trail, so to speak. They were concerned so much that they limited the pastors or the teachers who traveled around and preached or taught in a certain local congregation. They limited them to two days staying in the same place because they didn't want anyone to see them as people who was trying to... Uh, inappropriately live off the fruit of that church. Now, I said inappropriately. They were worthy of their wages. There was, it was fine for them to be paid and their needs to be taken care of, but the church, early church, apparently was really concerned with people overstaying their welcome and being inappropriate and taking advantage. Got it? So they would limit to them to two to three days of hospitality. Then they wanted them to move on. They only wanted two. And three was kind of negotiable, but not really. If you stayed three, you were out after three. 
That's what they say in the book. They were very concerned about the hospitality shown and then uh, people who represented the gospel taking advantage of hospitality. Boy, isn't that a word for today's church? We, 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 we have billion-dollar industries, folks. Billion, I'm saying it with a B, that have grown up over the gospel of Jesus Christ. From everything to prayer cloths to water from wherever, and it's sickening. They were concerned about it. And so you had the elders, you had the traveling pastors or teachers. Uh, they called them prophets sometimes. And then you had the leaders of the local church. You know this. When Paul would go somewhere, he would establish leaders. And then we know in the Bible, in Timothy and Titus and some other places, that there were qualifications to be a leader in a church. And we've read through those together and all that sort of thing, right? One of the things was they weren't to be lovers of money. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? But whatever, uh, 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 they weren't to be overly concerned with money. You need money to live and that sort of thing, and that's fine. But, but, but here they were concerned about it, and here apparently it's the elder John. Now, John, come on, folks. We know it's John in 1 John. I mean, it's like he's writing the same thing. This is John writing this. He writes to the elect lady and her children, and he loves them in the truth. Now, this is something we need in the church. We need people, like Ephesians tells us to be, who love with truth. We need to be people who speak the love in truth. But see, in our churches today, we have tons of people who are heavy on truth. And then we have tons of people in the church and in the world at large who are heavy on love. And what happens is they never like the two to meet because the truthful people, you know what they like to do? Sorry. The truthful people, you know what they like to do? They like to get you with the truth. They like to batter you with the truth. And there's, it's, it's brutal. People who are all truth and no love, they're brutal because there's no love behind it. There's no care. There's no concern. And it can just beat people up and bloody and bruise them. And then the people over here who think they're so loving and so tolerant, they're compromising the claims of Christ and distorting the gospel to a place that the gospel never goes. And now many people think if you're not a nice person or you didn't smile at them or you gave them criticism, you're not even a Christian. When the Bible says that we are to be people who are saved, surrendered, and filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ. Jesus Christ was the perfect blend of grace and truth. A tender reed he would not bruise. A smoking wick he would not snuff out. But boy, if you were religious and lorded it over people, right in the middle of the courtyards, the public arena, he'd call you a snake. Truth and love. And by the way, folks, we can be that in Christ. We can be that in Christ. He says here that there's got to be a great balance when you're dealing or living the Christian life. There's got to be a great balance between truth and love that God fills you up with the Holy Spirit. There's got to be truth and love. See, if you're this person, guess what you hate? 
You hate conflict, you're a people person, and your idol is yourself. That's what you are. You're loving. You don't want anybody to ever think bad of you. You don't want to. If you're this person, your idol is also yourself. Because you just say, I'm the one who knows everything. Bang! If you don't believe what I believe, too bad. And you'll never bend and you'll never uh, uh, lay down your rights. None of that. You're right. Everybody else is wrong. Doesn't matter. And you just brutalize people. And the Bible calls us to be graceful and truthful. What you need to have, this person needs to have, by the Holy Spirit now, not to conjure it up themselves, we learned it today in Foundations of the Faith, is to have relational courage. The ability to be able to talk to people about hard things. These people don't want to do it. But what do these people need? They need the filling of the Holy Spirit of a tender heart for loving. And John says to the elect lady, I love you in the truth. In other words, I love you so much, I'm going to tell you the truth. It's so unloving to be in this camp. You get it? Because you won't tell people the truth. And it's so unloving to be in this camp because you have no love. And not only I, but also those who have known the truth. I love you, and the whole family of God loves you, elect lady and your family, church house. I love you. And I love you so much, we love you so much that we're going to come to you and we're going to actually tell you the truth. What, do you, what is, what is, what, what do I say when I'm with my wife and I have a piece of corn on my face and I've been talking to her for about 10 minutes and she says, hey, uh, I hate to tell you this, but you got a piece of corn stuck in your teeth or on your face or whatever. What, what does everybody say? Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> right? It's a loving thing to do. You can't look like it anyway. <laughs> but, but right? It's a loving thing to do. And that's here because of the truth. Why? Why do we tell you these things? Because there's truth that abides in us. And see, Christ abides in us and we abide in him. And he's the way and the truth and the life. You see it? He abides in you and you abide in him. And so because of the truth which abides in us and uh, will be with us forever. Oh my, the truth. We, folks, do you get this? You go, go out on Fox News. No, don't do that. Or go out on MSNBC. No, don't do that. And just watch the news for 30 seconds. Everybody, truth, 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 truth. It's shifting What's truth? I don't, can't even believe this study about this mask or that study about that. I can't even believe what? That, he's horrible. He's great. Uh, he's horrible. He's great. I, what? Where, where's the truth? See, Jesus Christ is the truth. It's where you can place your hope. And now you abide in him and he abides in you. And it's not just for temporary, forever. Because of that, John says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. He connects Jesus with God. He's telling the Gnostics, you're wrong. Jesus was and is the God-man. He's fully God. He's fully man. That's what he's telling them right there. He's being truthful. He's telling the elect lady and her family within the home church, stick to this. Don't let anybody talk you out of it. 
And then he's saying, grace, mercy, and peace. This is fascinating. In all the greetings uh, uh, in the New Testament, right? Paul usually says, grace be to you and peace. Peter says, may grace and peace be yours in abundance. Jude says, may mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. The other writers, look at this, make it a prayer. We hope, we have a settled hope that grace and peace and mercy will come to you. Look what John does. He goes, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you. He says it as a statement. It's true. He believes it. And it's not just true for John the Apostle or a traveling pastor. It's true for the people who sit right in the pews or sit in the homes. It's for all of us that we have grace, mercy, and peace from Jesus Christ. It's settled. The Son of the Father, the truth in love. Well, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in the truth. Now, this could mean a family. It probably does mean her family, but it also probably means some of the people in the home church. They're walking in the truth in Jesus Christ. But remember in 1 John 2, see, it's all connected. In 1 John 2, I hope, yes, it came back to me. In verse 19, it says, they went out from us. In other words, people from the churches left. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. In other words, these ones who left, he goes on to describe that they're part of that spirit of Antichrist. So there are people who walk in the truth, but there are others who are not walking in the truth. By the way, do you know there's no greater joy than the pastor or the leadership team just watching people, quote-unquote, I'll say it this way, it's probably not theologically correct, when people, quote-unquote, get it. And they start walking with the Lord, even in their trials and tribulations, and people, and they're desiring the word, and they're fellowshipping, and they're praising. Do you, do you know what happens to the heart of a pastor Or how about this, to a mom or a dad, when they see their kids walking with the Lord. It's just beautiful. You love it. But when one falls away, whether it be in the church or a family, and they're not walking in the truth, oh, that's rough and sad. Jesus himself was a man of sorrows, but he was anointed with the oil of gladness. How could that be? I think it's found somewhat like this. The people whom he loves follow him, but some of them fall away. So, I rejoice greatly. They're walking in the truth. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. Now, you know this, right? Because I told it to you in 1 John. It's the same themes. How can you say, I'm giving you a new commandment, that you love one another, when this commandment was in the great book of Leviticus, to love strangers, to love people, and it was also in the great book of Deuteronomy. It was commanded that they love people, and then Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 35, says, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I got news for you, folks. People out in the world, (laughs) they aren't going to care if you give them the five points of Calvinism or the 
you know, tulip or why tulip's wrong or, uh, uh, you know, Arminianism uh, or a blend of both. Uh, uh, or they're not going to care if you, you know, unfold all your eschatological maps. Did I say that right? And just, you know, here, I want you to look at this. And that you know what's going to, I mean, God can use anything, of course. But his word tells us if love radiates from you, if love comes out, his love, they're going to go, what is different about her? How could she love him? How could she love me? I've treated her so bad. And she keeps coming back and asking how I'm doing and saying, could I pray for you? And she just keeps coming and coming, and she, and she loves me. Or he loves me. The ones who in the workplace don't lose their witness. They just keep loving people. They keep loving people, and then someday that door is going to open, and bang, you're going to walk through it, and you're going to give them the gospel. You love one another. He says back, by, back in John 31, Jesus himself, that that's a new commandment. How could Jesus say it's a new commandment? It was given in the law. It's a new commandment in quality. Because before you had to rely upon your own person to love people, now we have the Holy Spirit of God living his life through us that we can love people who are enemies. The people who spite us, who, who revile us, the Bible says you love. And he says here, this is love. Hey, lady in the church. Hey, church house or house church. Hey, house church. It's so awesome to see that you're walking and that we, we know that you're, you're, you're saved because you love one another. It's so beautiful. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. And you, you understand, by the way, look at this. Truth, love, and obedience. Which one is more important? No, no, no. Look, they're just combined. They're all together in the mix. Truth, love, and obedience. Because the Lord loves you, you love him back and want to please him, so you obey. You obey because you, re- you know his heart is to uh, uh, have the best and perfect plan for you, the safest and the healthiest, so you obey. You say, wait a minute. Oh, I'm, I'm living with my boyfriend? Oh, well, I shouldn't do that because you don't want me to. Okay, I'll move out. Oh, oh Lord, I have you know, a bad mouth. Lying lips. I'm a gossiper. I need your help, Lord. Help me to stay from that. Fill me to overflowing. It's my, I want to just give my will over to you that when I get in that certain circumstance, when I start to gossip, I need your help, Lord. I need your life. Just come in. I'll obey, but I need your help. See, when you get to that place, the magic happens, so to speak. The Holy Spirit kicks in, and he will help you and guide you. It could be anything, but you start to obey. Well, uh, that's love, that you walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. What commandment? That you love. It was the old commandment, but it's new in quality because the Lord died and rose again and now gives you the Holy Spirit, so you don't have to manufacture love. You can live his life through you. Thank goodness, because there are people who bug us. True? Oh, no. Okay. But in your old nature, there are people that you just don't click with. You need help loving. There are people that are mean to you. You don't feel like it in your own human flesh. You need the Spirit of God working through you to love. Okay, now listen to this. 
hey, but lady, hey, beautiful, wonderful sister in the Lord, John says, verse 7, many deceivers have gone into the world who do not confess Jesus as Christ as coming in the flesh. By the way, in 1 John 4, 2, it almost says the same thing. It says it there, has come in the flesh. This Greek word is comes or is coming. In other words, the first coming and the second coming. But whatever, do not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is coming. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. He goes, I want you to know this. Remember, we're to be the perfect blend of grace and truth. There are hospitality ministries for the, uh, the, the church. Uh, traveling pastors are going to come. And you need to be, as a person who's opening your home to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to be aware that there's some who do not confess Jesus as crumbing in the flesh, and you need to know it. We need to be alert. We need to be on guard. You get it? You can't be just in this camp. Well, come over to the house. Come on over to the house and just preach what you want. You can't be in that camp. But you can't be in this camp either. Oh, my goodness. You said one little thing wrong. You said one little thing wrong. You said one little thing wrong. There are people like this. Listen, folks, if you stand back here for 52 weeks a year, I got news for you. You're going to say something wrong. So you've got to be a blend of grace and truth. And that's what John is saying. There are going to be people who come who deny Jesus in the flesh. And this is a deceiver and an antichrist. Could that be more plain? And look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for. In other words, if you're over in this camp and you're just saying, oh, just preach what you want, just preach what you want. See, this message of the gospel that Jesus was the God-man is going to be retracted in your area. Well, Pastor Green gave uh, authority to, you know, this guy to come over and preach in the, uh, 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 you know, the, the traveling church home. And this guy says that Jesus was just a man, not fully God. So, and see... You say, well, what's the big deal? See, that's the biggest of deals. Because if he wasn't fully God and he wasn't fully man, he didn't do what he, the Bible says he did, which is pay the penalty for man's sins, but present our offerings, which is his offering, in heaven as the mediator, eternally. He, if he wasn't eternal and he wasn't man, this sacrifice isn't efficacious so this is important, and you have to stand up to it. I don't care how nice you want to be. But you can't be bludgeoning people either without love. There has to be a balance. Look to yourselves that we don't lose these things, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses, that means go farther. That's interesting. You ever heard about progression in the church? We should, hey, folks, listen, listen. We should be progressors in that we learn and keep learning about the cross of Jesus Christ. Not that we add to it, but, you know, it's so profound. And there's so many dimensions to it that we keep studying and growing in it. Not that we add to it or be progressive or change, but that we do grow. But people want to change all of this and not preach some of this stuff. That we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward, which is Abundant entrance into the kingdom, 2 Peter 1.11. You can look it up later. We already talked about it. Okay, whoever transgresses doesn't abide in the doctrine of Christ, doesn't have God. We've seen this. If you're wrong about Jesus, you're wrong about everything. 
Write that down. If you're wrong about Jesus, you're wrong about everything. And if you have a home church, you better make sure whoever's speaking at the home church is right about Jesus. If anyone comes to you, verse 10, and does not bring this doctrine, don't receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Now what do I do here? There are people who are going to come in here who don't have this right. Hey, Brad, go back to the back door, and if you see that heretic coming up the stairs, slam the door and shut him, throw him down the stairs. Mormon comes to the house. Yeah, badge on. Boom! Shut the door in their face. Jehovah's Witness comes to your house. Where are you from? Watchtower? Boom! Boom! Of course, that can't quite mean that. Because remember, the Good Samaritan doesn't discriminate based on who you are or what you believe. You're to be a Good Samaritan. And certainly, you know, there's common courtesy and grace and kindness that everybody in this world deserves. Everybody. Because they're made in the image and likeness of God. Even somebody that disagrees with you. It might even be a political person, hint, hint. You don't have to hate them. Not only that, you're not to hate them, and you're to love them. So what does it mean? Of course, for her, she wasn't to receive them into the home, because context, context, context. This was a home church that had traveling pastors. In other words, what he's saying right here is, don't put that one on the schedule. He's not saying slam the door in their face. Of course, what you're going to do is you're going to have relational courage. The Mormon's going to come to the house. The Jehovah's Witness is going to come to the house, and they're going to give their spiel or whatever they do. And you're going to say, well, I don't believe in that, and here's why I don't believe it. And uh, I'm going to show you the Scriptures. Since you're in my house, would you give me the courtesy of letting me show you the Scriptures that uh, tell me why I don't believe what you believe? You give me that common courtesy since you're in my house? They'll all say yes. You give them the Scriptures. Of course you do that, and then you send them on their way. But you don't have the Mormon or the Jehovah's Witness come over to your house and do a Bible study. Folks, that's what that's saying. There are some people, there are pastors that are going to disagree with me about that. But if you read the Bible as a whole, we do, everybody demands courtesy. Now, can you tell people that what they're teaching is wrong? Of course of course, I know a pastor that a Mormon came up and down their street. He followed them up and down the street. They knocked. They gave their spiel. He knocked and said, I'm the pastor. You know me. Don't listen to them. <laughs> and you know this pastor. But watch and learn in context. Having many things to write to you, I didn't wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face-to-face that your joy may be full. Folks, listen, if you send me a message, or I, sometimes I have to send you a message, and it has to be quick. Text. And I didn't put my smiley face on there. And I didn't give you, like, happy clouds and love hearts. It doesn't mean I'm mad. Okay? And so you want to be able to clear all of that up? Speak to people face-to-face. Look, look at this. 
where they can see your heart for love and your heart for truth. If you're blasting people with truth through a text or an email, they're never going to feel the love unless you're a superlative writer or maybe vice versa. It's always better to speak face-to-face about these things if you can. You got it? And John knew it. All right, the children, uh, he's coming, that our joy may be full. The children of your next sister, greet him. Okay, we got to go fast. Elder, third John, to the beloved Gaius. Now, I want you to catch this. This, this story is fascinating. I don't ever want you to th- say third John's a waste. So fascinating. This happens in the church every week. He writes to this Gaius guy, who there's several of those names in the Bible. There's several, three or four places. We don't know it's the same guy, just the guy whom John loves in the truth again. He loves him because he is right on with the truth, and he's spreading it around, and he's sharing with people. I pray, beloved, that you may prosper in all things and be in health. That doesn't mean everyone's uh, entitled to great prosperity and health. Just as your soul prospers. See, he wants you. The overarching theme for John is that you and your spiritual life grow. For I, maybe he's going to give some of you wealth if you can handle it. God, if he gives you wealth, praise the Lord. Use it for his good. doesn't mean you're evil either. But most people can't handle it, quite frankly. The Bible tells us that. Okay, that was a rabbit trail. Free. But I pray that you may prosper. Verse 3, for I rejoice greatly when brother came and testified of the truth that in you. Man, people were telling me about how well it's going with you, Gaius. It's so awesome to hear these reports. Such an amazing thing. Testimony. Just as you walk in the truth, you obey. You don't just speak up there behind the pulpit. You live it out there. What a blessing. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Again, John, so excited that somebody he knows or is trained up in the Lord is walking in real truth with love. Beloved, you do faithful whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on your journey in a manner uh, worthy of God... You will do well, because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. What's Gentiles mean? Uh, People who aren't in the family of God. That's the way they're using that right there. In other words, what he's saying is, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren, for strangers who have borne witness of your love. There's so much love pouring out of you in the church. There's truth. There's love. It's, it's a beautiful mix. And if you send them forward on the journey in a manner worthy of God, listen to this. Not everybody's called to be up here. I get people that come here and they want to pastor like within the month. And if you don't let them, they leave. It's a red flag, by the way. <laughs> but, but, you know, I get all that sort of thing. But we got to know you. we got to understand what you, uh, you uh, believe and how you teach and all that sort of thing. Uh, hey, You do faithfully what you do. That's wonderful. But if you send other people forward in the journey in a manner worthy of God, make sure what he's saying right there is that everybody feels important for the role that they play in the church. Not in a fake and phony way. You know, this is maybe top five favorite story of the Bible. In 1 Samuel 30, verses 21 through 25, you should write that down. You say, well, man, I can't go over to Africa. and I want to, but man, my boss won't let me. Or, 
you know, that person's always doing this mission or that mission. They're going down to the homeless. What are they doing? Then, then you, this story is for you. There's everybody's needed in the body of Christ. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Make sure everybody knows it, he's telling Gaius. Here's what. David came to 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at the Bezor Valley. They're going out to war. 200 of the guys, they can't walk 20 miles. They can only walk 18 miles. Whatever, I'm making up the miles. But you know what I'm saying. They get tired. And they sit down, and guess what the other people in the, the warriors who can go on, guess what they say? What idiots. We train for this. If they don't go out with us, they don't get what we get. Right, David? Read the rest of the story. They came out to meet David and the men with him as David and his men approached after the war, and he asked them how they were. But all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, hey, because they didn't go out with us, we'll not share with them the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. And David replied, no, my brothers, you can't do that with what the, with what the Lord has given us. He's protected us and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down into the battle. You see, listen, when people go out from here on a mission or go on Monday night mission or whatever, listen, folks, you can fall in this trap. The people who actually participate in the mission can look back to the people who didn't go and say, why didn't you go? I go. You don't go. And there can be this separation. And what David tells us here through the Holy Spirit is, hey, wait a minute, but they guarded the stuff. What are people doing while people go to homeless? Well, on Sunday night, they're praying for them. They're praying that that would be a fruitful ministry. When they go to Jamaica, when they can, we're praying for them. Those people are participating. When you give financially in a right way with a good heart, you're participating with them. It's as if you're going, the Lord says. And he says, make sure everybody in the church feels that way and knows that. You'll do well because they went forth with his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. And that's another reference to being very circumspect among the people, of, uh, people who are not of God, being interested in money all the time. Oh, my goodness. Let's go do that sermon. Well, verse 8, we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Hey, there are people being sent out. They're doing great work, he says to Gaius. Remember what he said? Hey, listen, listen. Remember what he said to the elect lady? He said, beware. Watch it. Because the elect lady was tended to be probably over in this camp. You got to be truthful. To Gaius, who's walking in the truth and doing good, he's like, now remember, it's okay to receive the ones we put on the schedule to come and talk with you. Remember this, Gaius. Because there's going to be people in the church like Diotrephes. Remember, they're fellow workers for the truth, but I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, he's telling Gaius, catch this, catch this. Is this real life stuff or what in the church? This splits churches today. I wrote to the church, but this local leader, Diotrephes, this local guy who thought he was preeminent and not Christ. John says it, not me. He says he loves to have the preeminence among them. There's nothing humble. He's not graceful. He's hard and he's rigid and he's mean and he's vicious. That's what John's saying. 
And he's a liar. He prates against us. He's lying. If I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does. I'm going to go speak to this guy face to face, and I'm going to call him out on it. You think that's loving? How are we to do it? Gently. To win an erring brother, not to win an argument, but to win a soul. The Bible tells us that in Galatians. Okay, hang in there now. (laughs) He does this. If I come, I'll call to mind his deeds, which he does. Prating words. He lies with malicious words. And not content with that, guess what else Diotrephes does? He himself does not receive the brethren. In other words, John had suggested some traveling pastors or teachers... Gaius was going to put him on the schedule in Diotrephes because he's such a stellar pillar of the church. He said, no, I ain't listening to John, and they're not going on the schedule. And in fact, if you argue with me, he says it right here, if you argue with me and you try to get him on the schedule, I'll have you put out of the church. Read it. And not content... Uh, He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Come on, folks. This is church life 2020, man. You disagree with somebody on a stupid committee where their idol is the committee and their work for the committee and they live for all of that, and you go against them, you'll find yourself shunned like this one. And John says, beloved... Remember this, don't imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. You know, God gave us great examples in the Bible. Paul said to Timothy, be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity, 1 Timothy 4.12. And Paul himself said, imitate me, not in some weird way, but as I imitate Christ, imitate me. 1 Corinthians 1.11, and Peter said, for, this to, to, uh, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. We ultimately follow his example, but we have way more than his example. We have him who actually lives in us. Beloved, don't imitate what's evil. Don't, don't act like this. Repent. And get humble. Don't act like this. There are people who do this, folks. They hold bitterness in the church. They want their ministry so bad that when somebody else invades their territory, whoa, watch out. Demetrius, or wait, wait, beloved, don't imitate what's evil, but it's good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God because we have a new nature. Look at this. Demetrius has a good testimony. Now he shifts gear. Oh, man, focus on Demetrius. What a great testimony. What a great testimony. From all and from the truth itself. He has a testimony from all and from the truth itself. He's not, do you you know this? Look at this, folks. I hear this all the time. Oh, man, he's such a good guy. Well, Demetrius is not just a good guy. He walks in the truth. There's a big difference. There are a lot of quote-unquote good guys. By the way, this is good dating advice. There are a lot of good guys, but do they walk in the truth? Big difference. And that's Demetrius. And you know that our testimony is true. Some believe Demetrius there is the one who actually carried the letters. So he was giving him a compliment as he gave them off to him to give to Gaius. 
Well, I had many things to write, but I don't wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. I want you to see something about John. He wasn't just a great evangelist. He wasn't just a great church builder. He wasn't just a great teacher. He wasn't just a great person for the Lord. But watch this. He wasn't just a great theologian. He didn't just know all the doctrine. He had lots of friends. Like Paul, go read the last chapter of Romans. Here's the smartest people of Christianity or Christendom, and they just didn't isolate themselves. They had friends, and they were people who loved with truth, and they were truthful with love. They had friends. In order to, listen, in order to have friends, folks, you have to be a friend. If you're all the time saying, I have no friends, I have no friends, maybe it's because you're not being a friend. This one has friends. Now, are we done? It's 12 o'clock? No, we're not done. I want you to see something here. Here it is. Here's the punchline. Why do you think these two letters are in here? Well, there's a myriad of things. It's telling you the real and raw aspects of life. It's combating Gnosticism, but I think it's telling you something else. I think it's telling you this. The home is really important. What happens at home is really important. What happens at home impacts, look at this, what happens at the church. What happens at the church impacts a nation. Well, impacts a area. It should impact. Would, would the people even know if we left here in West Elizabeth? I hope so. What happens at the home is important. If you have the home, then the church comes to life. If the church comes to life, the area in which the church is comes to life. If the area in which the church comes to life comes to life, then the area around that comes to life. And then you have a county, and then you have a region, and then you have a state, and then you have a nation. Hold, hold on. But it starts at home. You see it? He's writing a letter to the elect lady and her family at a church home. It starts in the home. You can come here and, of course, the Bible says good preaching or whatever. Go somewhere else where you get better preaching or whatever. That is good. But you who are sitting here now, are to be operating in your homes, in your spheres of influence, to make change and uh, share gospel and have the Lord use you there. And then, then look, look, and then the church comes alive. Gaius, Diotrephes, Demetrius, we're going to deal with those issues, and that's going to come alive. That's what these two letters are telling you. But what should you be doing at home? Tell me what I should be doing. Turn with me to the book of John. John 6. You thought you were done. You know it's NFL Sunday, but I know that the games don't start till 1. Look in verse 32. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. Oh, I skipped to 35. Sorry. 
uh, uh, never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Don't you want that? Okay. But I said to you that you have not seen me, and yet you do not believe. Now, look at this. Go on down to verse 44. Oh, wait, 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 sorry. Verse 53. Jesus says something really strange here, peculiar. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Uh-oh, uh-oh, my goodness. We're in trouble now, right? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now listen, folks. Jesus Christ wasn't a cannibal. He took part in communion. So I I just, that stuff isn't really his blood. And it's not really his body. Those are symbolic. The same as he's talking about here, but in a spiritual sense. Turn with me to John 21. Listen, listen. If the home comes alive in Christ... The church comes alive in Christ. The region comes alive in Christ. The state, you get it? Okay. Look in John 21, famous thing with Peter. Jesus restores Peter. What does he tell Peter to do? So, so interesting. Simon, verse 15, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, well, if you love me then, feed my lambs. And he said to a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Okay, tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. uh, You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. In other words, I'm going to use you, Peter, for the most important, amazing job in all the world. And that's to feed people the Lord Jesus Christ, to give people the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to receive him as the bread of life, to have him come in. It means that you count and trust in the per. Listen to this. Listen, I'm saying it on purpose. The person, the character, and the work of Christ. What should we be doing at home? We should be, listen, as parents or grandparents or whatever we are, what should we be doing at home? We should be feeding ourselves That's why inductive Bible study is so important. We should be feeding on the Lord Jesus Christ through his word. In other words, we should be taking him in. Everything that he has for us, we should be taking in. Now, hold on. Wake up right here. Feeding ourselves, feeding ourselves, and then feeding our wives, and wives feeding your husbands, and you're growing as you get nutritious, or you get nutrition. You're growing in the Lord. You're taking him. You're spending time. You're, because you're, you're changed now in response. You just love to be with him. And you're sitting under the shadow of his wing, right at the foot of Jesus. You're receiving from him in his word. You're receiving and you're being fed. And then what you do, because you've been fed, just like feeding uh, the thousands, you go up to the Lord. You've been fed. You go up to the Lord. He gives you bread and you go back out and you feed others. And you're feeding the people in your house. You're just feeding them. I know it's fun to you know, watch Netflix, although you should stop watching Netflix if you're not uh, tracking with that news. Just go online and read about what's happening on Netflix. But whatever, that's another subject. But stop Netflix. Stop your stupid phone. Put your phone away. You don't have to like every story 
that ever comes up. Because if you keep doing it, you never run out. There's a story. You don't have to like them. They don't have to like you. Just get rid of your phone and take in the Lord Jesus Christ. Get around with your wife. Uh, talk to her about the Lord. Just talk what, what the Lord's doing in your life, what the Lord uh, is doing in her life. Uh, how are, get fed. And then go and feed your kids or feed the people that are, you're responsible for. Go, go feed them. And here, what do you feed them? I, I said it just a minute ago. You feed them, listen, the person, character, and work of Christ, the glories of Christ. Paul said this. The message of the cross, here's what he preached. Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who called, both Jews and Greeks, listen to this, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Quit telling your kids or your wife or your family to run other places than the Lord for the answers of life. Now let that sink in. God's redemptive work through his son Jesus Christ at the cross is the answer for everything. It's the redemptive work of Jesus that matters. Listen, we had divorce care here. The group isn't going to save you. I'm for divorce care. I'm not against it. But what I'm saying is if you're relying upon the group to save you, you're missing the boat. Jesus saves. If you want to come to the uh, celebrate recovery thing, great, do it. But recognize it's not the meeting or the people that the meeting that save us. It's the blood of Christ. Don't run to every other thing, the broken cisterns of the world, before you come to him. Just come to him and get fed. Look with me just real quick as we finish in 1 Corinthians 30. But maybe I'll run out of things to talk about. First Corinthians 1, sorry, verse 30. What do you talk to with your wife? What do you explore? You explore the Lord, glories of Christ. What do you talk to with your friends? Explore the glories of Christ that you find in his word. What do I talk to my kids about? Explore the glories of Christ with them, his person, his work, his character. Listen, I'm saying those on purpose because we have tons of people who do Bible things and we're teaching morality and morality kills people. You could never be good enough to go to heaven. You need, and I need, we need Jesus. Look at this. Are you going to run out of things to talk about? That no, uh, Verse 30. But of him, this is the same place where Paul says, we're only pe preaching Christ crucified. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us, look at this, he's our wisdom. We need wisdom. I'm going to go talk to this person. Well, okay. Maybe a person can help you, but recognize it's from the Lord. I'm not against talking to people, but it's wisdom from the Lord you need. And right, God is our righteousness. Find out everything you can about what that means and tell your wife. Wife, tell your husband. Husband, wives, tell your kids. People in your sphere of influence, tell them. Feed them this, that Christ is not just righteousness. He is our righteousness. 
Christ isn't just sanctification, or he doesn't just give you sanctification. He is our sanctification. So what does sanctification mean? You could talk about that with your families. Uh, and redemption, buyback, all those things. That Look at this. Because if you do anything else, if you're depending upon anything else, listen to this, read the rest of the verse, you'll be glorying in something other than the Lord. We got a church full of people that don't run to the Lord first. They get fed with everything else, everything else. And then if it doesn't work, 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 I'll rely maybe on Jesus. I'll come to him last. We got it backwards. The blood of Christ, Paul said it. I'm going to preach Christ crucified. And that leads us to talk about the power of God and the wisdom of God. And that's what I'm going to feed to people. I'm not going to teach them morality. I'm not going to teach them how to. I'm not going to teach them seven keys to happiness. That's stupidity. You're just leading people down the road to failure. Sorry, I used the word stupidity. What I'm saying is, you get what I'm trying to say? Everything should be Christ-centered. The redemptive work of Jesus Christ should be laid out for you in Bible studies. If, if you're, all you're getting is self-help stuff, how to get along with people, finances, by the way, all of them should be dealt with. All of them should be dealt with. But what they should be how they should be dealt with is in the context of the very fact that you're a sinner saved by God's grace through faith and that you've been reconciled, what a great prayer, you've been reconciled back to the Father and now because of all that, because of the blood of Christ, you can be victorious or you are victorious and you can overcome. See, that's the message. Do you see how subtle it is, folks? You can walk in churches nowadays and never hear that you're a sinner. That's the place to start. Okay. Don't be sucked in by the sermons that over and over tell you, do you have enough faith? Do you, you know, it's like the old advertising trick. Make them feel bad so they'll come back. Making them feel a need so they'll come back. You should feel the need, but the need is filled by the work of Jesus Christ. Let's lay out the redemptive work in all the things we do. If we talk about marriage, redemptive work. If we talk about occupation, redemptive work. If we talk about worry, redemptive work. If we talk about uh, you know, whatever, sexual temptation, redemptive work. If we talk about addiction, it's redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And let it all flow from there. Amen? Folks, that's what Second John and Third John's all about. If a home will come alive there, then a church will come alive there. Then a school will come alive there. Then a region will come alive there. And until Jesus Christ comes back, let's tell people about his redemptive work. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we come together <clears throat> as brothers and sisters and we lift up this message and we pray, Lord, that you would use it for your glory. 
And Lord, as we move out of here now, we pray that you would do a work in our hearts because there are people here maybe that we're in holding something against. Let's pray that we get that right here today. And as we move out, Lord, if there's anything in our lives that you want us to confess, may we do that today. And then may we move out those wooden doors and go share Jesus with everybody we come in contact with. By your power and by your spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.